Welcome to Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. Be part of a conversation between Graham Hood, champion fisherman, airline pilot and school dropout, and Ali Gonzalez, wannabe fisherman and holder of more useless degrees than you can poke a stick at. What could these two possibly have in common? The fact that neither of them have anything to hide. That's what. Mates in Courage. Take a listen. Well, good day, Graeme. Good day, Ellie. How are you? It's always good to see you because you're a special person in my life. Well, did I? Oh, so I'm a special person in your life, you're am I? You're a special I? person in my life, yeah. But, but, you know, I don't think I'm the only special person in your life. I don't even think I'm the most special person in your life. What do no, you reckon? I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I could live without pretty much everybody on the planet. Including me. Including you. Oh, bum. But I'd really struggle to live without Michelle, and I'm really glad that she's sitting next to me. Ah, that's the big surprise. That's the big surprise. So here in Mates in Courage, it's not just you and me, but no. um, you've brought along Michelle, someone yeah. really special. Say hi, Michelle. Hello, Ellie. Hello. <laughs> How are you? It's good to see you. I'm well, thank you. Yeah. There's a reason why we've invited you to come along, Michelle, and I know you're shy. Uh, don't worry, no one will hear this. Um, and it's because Graham and I here, we sit around and we talk about relationship amongst ourselves, but we talk about our relationships with other men, other people, with, in, you know, with our communities and with our wives. And so I, I had the great idea. I hope it's a great idea. We'll know at the end of this. <laughs> you will. It's of, a good idea. Uh, of inviting uh, your wife, Graham, mm-hmm. to, to share a little bit uh, for the benefit of uh, everyone who's listening, men and women, yeah. about the role that you've played as a man, Graham, as, as her husband, in helping her heal mm-hmm. from her past. And Michelle, yeah. you know, I'll ask you about that in a second. But also, also to check up on you, Graham, and just, just make sure that the things we've been talking about are the things that you've been putting in practice in yeah, your relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, got to keep I you accountable. Be, I want to be held accountable. That's it. And also, Graham, to hear from you. Uh, in in terms of your own healing from mm-hmm. you know your your background. And now I want you to know, Ellie, that you're putting me under this spotlight at the moment, but I'm going to do that to you soon. You're no, the, yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. The, we're mates in courage. Remember, I'm just an interviewer. No accountability. <laughs> no, you're not, this isn't an interview type thing. No. All right, all right. Okay, we'll see later on. Yeah. But basically, how how Michelle has helped you grow as a man as well. Well, I, I want to preempt everything we're about to say because. This morning, uh, before we drove down here, um, I decided that you know I was going to go and have a shower and get ready to go, obviously. And while I was in the shower having a shave, I thought to myself, where, where am I at the moment in my journey of manhood? And what I realised was that um, I, for the first time in my entire life, I mm-hmm. can actually look into the mirror every day when I shave and not cringe at what I see. And I'm not talking about... I, you know, I look at the wrinkles and I look at the grey hair and I think, well, life's really getting me by very quickly. Mm. But when, when I talk about looking at myself in the mirror, I'm talking about looking into my heart. Yeah. So what I see nowadays is something that makes me feel very warm and very comfortable in my own skin. So when I say I like what I see in the mirror, I'm not talking about external experience, mm. uh, external um looks i'm talking about Mm. what's going on in my heart 
and my heart is really, really well. So I, I thought to myself, who can I attribute that to? And I thought about my dad because, you know, we're all, um, as we've talked about before, we're always um, hooked into into our dad's life in mm-hmm, a way. Mm-hmm. We become our fathers in many ways, mm. in, in lots of good ways and some not so good. And sometimes we have to make our own mould as well. And I thought my dad was a really great dad. Mm. He, he bumbled as a dad, but he was a good man and he did tried to do everything the best that he could. Oh, I met him. You did. Yeah. And he was a lovely guy. And um, Absolutely. And I'm really grateful to him because he showed me how to be a better man by allowing me to see his mistakes. Mm-hmm. He never tried to hide them. My father did that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah some, sometimes that, that can be good and sometimes not so good. But then I thought, well, who else has had a, a dramatic impact in my life? And the person who's taught me how to be a man more than anyone else on the planet is the woman I'm married to. Yeah. So it's taken a woman to teach me how to be the best man I can be because I wanted to be the best man I could be to be with her and yep. to give her a good life. And also with her courage and her story and her backstory, mm-hmm. yep. she's shown me more about courage than any number of men I've ever met in one group. Yep. So that's why this is a really good story. Yeah. And I'm so glad she's here. And when you say... Graeme, that you look in the mirror in the morning as you're shaving or or whatever, and you you know you're liking what you see. Mm. You know that wasn't always the case. I mean, you, you're coming mm. just to recap for, for people who might have not have heard our previous uh, conversations. You're coming from a background of profound addiction for a long time. Yeah, of uh, uh, broken relationships. Um, complete loss of identity. Complete loss of identity. You know, the closest call with suicide that I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I'm sitting here in front of two people, who I consider to be whole, always healing, but always whole. You know. And I think Michelle would say the same. She can look in the mirror now, and she likes what she sees. But we haven't invited Michelle here just to talk about her. So Michelle, I want to ask you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your story, your background? Um. I was adopted as a young baby into a very loving family. I had three natural-born older brothers and another adopted sister, younger than me. I was groomed from the age of three by a family friend Mm -hmm. and um, this went on for several years. I was groomed till the age of nine when he sexually abused me for the first time and then it became sexual assault a couple of years later and I was sexually assaulted by him for six years and Mm. because of that I lost my identity Mm. at the age of nine put on many coping mechanisms to help me deal with it because I couldn't tell my parents because he'd threatened me that he'd give me uh, they would send me back to the orphanage if I said anything so Mm. that kept me quiet for a long period of time you were in a church environment during all this because you you were adopted by a loving Christian family, and yeah. this man was a church elder in your church, wasn't he? That yes, was he was. You. Yes, he was. Wow. And so and he was, had a teaching role as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he was the teacher at the kids section of the of the church, and so he had very authority. Invo- he had authority mm. and very involved in children of the church, and I was also on an isolated farm and really the only people we knew were people involved with the church. So, mm-hmm. um, You would have imagined that you would have felt safe in an environment like that, surely. 
Yeah. Or, or adult, well, adults would have thought. Yeah. But I should have, but I mm. knew there was there was this dark thing happening and I was too terrified to speak out about it. So mm. yeah. I put on many coping mechanisms, as I said, to cope with it because I couldn't tell them and that be- I became a loner. I lost my identity. I went. I became antisocial in a way. I um, headed out into the bush a lot, rode my horse a lot and that in itself began an um, addiction to adrenaline, so I became risk-taking. And you, you had a fear of expressing any emotion because the last thing you wanted was someone to ask you, is everything all right? Because you would have yeah, perhaps could, blurted it out and then been sent back to the orphanage. Yeah, I was mm. terrified of giving it away, so I became monosyllabic in my verbal responses. I became non-expressive in my f- facial expressions or loving I couldn't be loving Mm. and show love because I was Uh terrified that my emotions would get the better of me and I'd give it away somehow so you became pretty aloof really Mm -hmm. I did I became Mm. aloof and then people thought I was had bad behavior because of that I was antisocial yeah you were seen as antisocial but nobody But you created that in a way because you didn't want anyone to ask you if you were okay. No, that's right. I created it, but I lost my true identity. Mm. And on the inside, I was this very unhappy girl who had lost her identity and couldn't be free to be herself. So, mm-hmm. One of your coping mechanisms has always been about achieving mm. great things for yourself in your life. Yeah, um, well, I was in control of that. So anything, mm. I wasn't in control of the abuse that was happening to me. So... I became very controlling of everything that I was able to do and had to be the best at it to feel good about it because I'd never felt good about anything or what was happening. So was that like putting on a mask? It was definitely putting on a mask and because I did things that became a habit Mm -hmm. um, to me, I became an overachiever, I became a studyaholic, I became a, a workaholic, um, many coping mechanisms. I didn't get into drugs or alcohol or tobacco or anything like that, but I got into the addictive behaviours of driving cars fast, riding horses fast, motorbikes fast, and studying and working to and excess. You, and you ended up in jail. I did end up in jail, yes, long story, but um, started because of the adrenaline urge that I got by running away when he first abused me I would run and then ride horses and then drive cars fast and whenever I was stressed I liked to hop in the car and drive really fast and of course later on in life I um, accumulated lots of speeding fines and lost my license and then in the situation I was in I couldn't I couldn't stop driving I had to drive to get to work drive to take my kids everywhere drive Mm. to study, drive, drive, drive. So I kept driving and, of course, I got picked up for driving without a licence and then the judge had to... He sentenced me to three months in jail because I showed contempt for the law. In your urge to cover your pain with the various things you became addicted to, one of those was study. Mm. You went on to get three degrees. You've got degrees in law, psych and nursing. I do. So I'm in awe. You are. <laughs> no, you're not. Dr. Ellie. Dr. Ellie. Yeah, Dr. Ellie. <laughs> Just in one thing. <laughs> but but I was always searching for different, going from one thing to another. It was never ending. When I finished one, it was like, I've got to do something else. And I. So you had I a high-profile job when you were sentenced to jail. Yeah, I was, it was chief counsellor. I was counselling uh, responsibility for a lot of people and then I was held contemptuous. 
Yeah, and the the backstory to that is, of course, that the magistrate uh, sentenced her to prison, which was unheard of for a driving offence in Western mm-hmm. Australia. Mm, he had to make a, a public example of me because I'd shown such disregard for the law. Disregard for the law. But the back the backstory to that is, he lost his daughter to a speeding motorist who was killed. In, she was killed oh. in a car accident about two or three years before that, wow. mm. and so he had a real pain yeah. underneath his behaviour as yeah. well. Yeah. So it doesn't sound like a very promising background, Michelle. Uh, not much hope there for you to ever have a, uh, a great relationship again. So um, tell us, uh, either of you, I don't mind, how, how did you two actually meet? Outside of Lou. Outside of Lou. <laughs> Outside of Lou, yeah. Well, don't promote that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was on board an aeroplane. It was to be the last time I was going to fly an aeroplane uh, because I'd set a date after that flight to uh, take my own life. And this is after having tried before? I hadn't tried to take my own life before, no. I'd set a date to take my own life and uh, this was to be my last flight before doing so. Right. Um, And it was a trip from Brisbane to Perth Mm -hmm. and... um, during the flight, it was a late night flight. During that flight, I went back to use the bathroom and um, I went to open the door and the flight attendant said, you can't go in there, there's a lady just gone in there. Okay. And I said, oh, I really need to go to the toilet, I'll go down the back. She said, oh, don't, don't go down there, they've been drinking, it's a zoo down there, they'll eat you alive. <laughs> so I just, I, I stayed up the front and I waited and the flight attendant said, oh, don't worry, she's worth waiting for. And I thought that was a, a funny statement. But then the door opened and there stood this lady who just took my breath away and uh that's I, you michelle that's, apparently <laughs> that was apparently michelle. and um and uh, i was a bit gobsmacked when i looked at her because um there i'd always had a picture in my mind of the woman i was meant to be with and there she was standing there and that was just that just felt really weird then i went into the bathroom and i came out she couldn't go back to her seat because the uh, cabin crew was serving in business class and yeah. the aisle was occupied mm-hmm. And I couldn't go back into the cockpit unless there was someone there to guard the door for me. So I had to wait out there, which was very fortuitous. Mm. And we spent 15 minutes having a real conversation that changed our lives. And the next day we met, uh, I was in Perth, we met for uh, for lunch or brunch actually. We spent the whole day together and six weeks later we had moved in together to live. And about 13 months after that we were uh, married. And um, we haven't looked back since. It's just been a real blessing. I was absolutely shattered because it was just days before I was going to kill myself. And Michelle was in a pretty bad state as well. So so what is it? I mean, the, if you beg the question, what is it that made both of you want to get into a relationship again? There were strings of failed relationships or avoidance of relationships and so much pain in both your lives. So what what made you... So, yes. Well, for me, it was, there's no way this lovely woman is going to want to have anything to do with me. But there was this thought in the back of my mind saying, what have you got to lose? You're going to be dead in a few days anyway. What, what have you got to lose? And so we just kept the conversation going. And I, I think because I was going to take my own life, I was completely relaxed about the conversations I was having. And I felt real and honest. And I, I shared a lot of deep, dark stuff with her. And she did the same for me. But up until the point I met you, I wasn't looking for anyone. Mm. I was totally immersed in my studies and um, driven to do what I was doing. But when I met you, 
and the history of me is I never trusted a man in my life. Mm. I didn't even trust my own dad who who I never told and he died before I came out with it. I never even trusted him enough to tell him and I'd never trusted a man in my life. I'd been let down by men all my life. So I wasn't looking for someone, but when I met you, it was like God told me mm-hmm. that I could trust this man. And something strange happened because I did. I was very formidable and I was very um, in control of everything. You were scary, were you? I yeah. was, apparently, yeah. and I was. I, I was very controlling and very much in control of everything, and yet here I was um, saying, I can trust this man, and knowing he, what he told me about his history, which he told me straight away, it was like, well, God's telling me I can trust him. All this happened in the Ford Galley area of the of the Boeing on the way to Perth. I was telling her about my addiction and to pornography and how desperately unhappy I was and all this sort of stuff. And she was sharing some of her darkness as well. And we both felt revived and refreshed by the conversation. We were actually being real with each other because mm-hmm. I think both of us realised there was nothing to lose. Mm. Uh, I definitely did. And I think you may have been thinking, oh, well, this is just a conversation. I'll be getting off the aeroplane soon and that'll be the end of it. And it wasn't like that at all. But I knew that we were on the same page in a lot of things and that mm. just shook me. Mm. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't believe that there's anything as chance in the life of, of someone when God is working in, in, in the life. So, you know, I don't, I don't reckon that meeting as impossible as it could have seemed. Well, I was an And what's happened then. after it. Yeah, amazing. That whole experience, that whole, uh, you know, I, I kept thinking this is divine intervention that we've mm-hmm. met at the 11th hour of my life. Mm. And hers probably as well. She, was, she had never gotten to the point where she wanted to take her own life, but her life was just wasting away in pain. Mm. And we came together at the 11th hour, and it had to be some force greater than anything I'd contemplated as an atheist. Mm. And so that's where my belief in God really started to, to solidify. And you were the gift that God sent to me. Hmm. Well, you, you were, were my gift from God. You were that for me. Because I'll stop at you too. It's true. It's true because <laughs> he. It was. I was at the end of my tether, and God sent me this man to help me heal. It's amazing. And yeah. the thing for me yeah. was, why would somebody who's been abused by men most of her life yeah. and sexual abuse as well as as verbal and physical? Why would someone, a woman who'd been through that, trust somebody who confessed to being a porn addict and a sex addict, which is what I was? Uh, an abuser. An abuser. Of women, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah, without even realising I was. That's why it's a miracle. It is a miracle. That's all it is. And God said, you yeah. can trust this man who's got a sexual addiction. Mm. And you know what, Ellie? God knew that I was desperate to be trustworthy. Mm. And he gave me someone to make me feel mm. trustworthy, yeah. worthy of trusting. And that's what every man wants. Every man wants to feel worthy of someone's trust in him. And uh, and when we met, the cycle of trust and love was complete and it just flourished from there. And, and we've been running this ministry, Mission Serenity, for 13 years since mm. then. Mm. And that's been wonderful because it's been we've been able to um, work in the lives of broken couples uh, people with addictions. We've got our own twelve-step recovery program, which you're aware of, and and all of these things have stemmed from God bringing two broken people together and making one wholesome unit out of it. And um, being part of that wholesome unit has made me realise that every day I spent in pain before Michelle and I met was worth 
going through. That was my education to be in the position I'm in now in my late 60s, mid to late 60s, to feel that I can look at my heart in the mirror and feel it is well with my soul. Well, I, I do want to go back mm-hmm. rather than being in the present, uh, but I just want to make the, the, the comment that your story gives every man and every woman hope. Mm. It really does. It's just such a powerful story of how you know lives can be healed and restored Mm. hope you know even though not every man will meet his michelle and not every michelle may meet their their graham but just in the very fact that wherever you know we are there's there's hope we it can be better we can change we can be transformed and then the change starts within us Mm. but i do want to go back because back to where after that meeting in in that Ford Galley area of, yeah. of the airplane. Yeah. What happened after that? Um, that? That, you know, started your healing process. Yeah, okay. Well, after initially meeting her, I went back into the cockpit after 15 minutes and uh, she had given me her phone number. We were going to touch bases the next day in Perth. And I went back into the flight deck and the co-pilot looked at me and he said, are you okay? And I said, why? He said, you look different. <laughs> and I said, I've just fallen in love with somebody. And, and <laughs> Like, and, really, you said that? Yeah, I did. I said, I have just fallen in love with somebody because I felt an instant uh, emotional um, attraction to Michelle. It went beyond a physical. It was something very, very deep. And I knew that I was, this was the woman that I'd been spending 60, well, 53 years at that time looking for. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, who is it, a flight attendant? And I said, no, one of the passengers in business class. And he said, oh, where's she sitting? And I said, oh, she's in 3A. And he said, I've just got to go to the toilet. <laughs> and he came back and he said, you've got her phone number. And I said, yeah. And he said, goodness gracious. But then we 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 met the next day, didn't we? Yes, we, we did. And we spent all day together until you had to leave. To and we away. talked and talked and talked. And I did the midnight horror back to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And we spent the whole day together and then we kept communicating. Can I say something here? Yeah. In the When you're in a single status, quite often you have a list of credentials that you'd like your supposed new partner to have criteria Mm -hmm. to have i had a great list and for years my friends had said cut your list it's too strict it's too severe it's too hard it's too hard you're not going to find it you're not going to find it but i wasn't really looking anyway but you're not going to find it and um when i met gray and had that day with him and chat with him and talk to him i thought wow he fills every list, every one of them. It's and as I got to know him more over the next few months, it was just so, so true. Mm. And what Don't that, cut yourself short. What that tells me is that we are intrinsically designed to be with certain people. But it also tells me that every man and every woman is intrinsically valuable. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure that on, on your list, Michelle, you didn't have a uh, porn addict, mm, you know, point. sex addict, depressed, suicidal dude they weren't on your list no but, they weren't but somehow you saw the value you know you saw his I could heart. see the real him yeah the real I could him. see That's what him I, mean. I could see right to his heart and he wore his heart on his sleeve anyway but I could see the real him and that was just amazing because you don't usually meet people that just are real isn't at that, the very beginning and he was but isn't that what every guy wants every man wants to be seen for who he is oh Amen oh. to that. I mean, it's just, 
I got so sick of carrying a mask around, several masks. I was, a, I wore a mask at home. I wore a mask at work. I wore a I mask did. in public. Mm. Yeah, and, and I got sure. tired of it. And when I realised that my life only had a few days left in it, I dumped all those masks and I was just absolutely real. Mm. I didn't care what anybody thought anymore and I didn't think I had anything to lose. Option A was in a few days you're going to be dead. Mm-hmm. And option B was just something I'd never contemplated. But option B has been enormously powerful mm-hmm. in my life. Mm. To, go, to go through all that and get to a point where you can actually say, you know what, all that was worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, in the serenity prayer for our, our recovery program, there's a there's a part of that that says we should accept hardship as a pathway to peace. Mm-hmm. And so I look I look at that part of the of the prayer, and I can see that for 53 years, the darkness I was living in was preparing me for the glory of what was to come in my life. And I yeah. thank God for that. Mm-hmm. But and you didn't have God when we first met. I didn't. So we got together. You moved from WA to the Gold Coast to be with me. And then we sat down one day and I said to Michelle, write a list of all the things in your life that you've yet to complete, all the untick boxes. Mm. And I'll do the same and let's not discuss it until we've finished and we'll look at them and compare them. Mm. And when we put them together, you could have put them over the top of one another. It was like on a transparency and they were almost identical except for the one thing. Mm. And that was Michelle had said that she wanted to go back to church the mm-hmm. church of her of her family. Because yeah. I left at 16. Wonder why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, and I want to be baptised into that into my church. Mm-hmm. And my response when I saw that on up fairly high on her list was, I'm not into religion or church, um, but I want you to have everything you heart, your heart des- desires. And I know that church isn't a safe place for you because you've been victimised in it. Mm-hmm. I'll come along to church as your bodyguard. That's true. So, and and that's what I said. I'll just sit through church every day. You go to church, and and I'll just sit there and be your bodyguard. Yeah, and that's when um, you came into the picture. Yes, because you were at the church when we. So I met Michelle's bodyguard. (laughs) You did. You did. did. So uh, it it was it was an amazing journey because when I went into the the church with Michelle, the pastor, who's a dear man we've spoken about before, we love him to bits, Pastor Jeff. He preached a sermon that was designed for me to hear. He, did, yeah. he didn't design it. God did. Mm. And I was captured by his mm-hmm. sermon. And everyone else in the church were mm. yawning. Mm. But he was speaking to me. And I said to Michelle, have you been talking to him about me? And she said, mm. I've never met him. I said, well, he's telling my story. Yeah. And so we got to know him. And then that led to, to getting to know you. Mm-hmm. And our lives changed as a result of getting to know you. And I think your life's changed through getting to know us. Oh, pretty radically. <laughs> but I'm just thinking how good God is, you know, because often people think that God is waiting for us to say yes to him and to fix our lives up and to get out of, you know, the the, the puddle of mud that we and garbage that we sit in most of the time before he'll be kind and good to us. Yep. And look, and here you were in the in the depths of, you know, your your rubbish, and God was leading you all the time. And uh, all it takes is for us to be open to that and not close down. And, and the wonderful opportunities are there all the time, except we don't see them because we stop being grateful. We stop being, at the end of the day, it's the blessings that God is giving us, whether we're believers or not. You know, I was blaming God for all the bad things that were happening in my life. Mm without seeing the manoeuvring he was doing behind the scenes to bring me to this place I'm at now. Yeah. And that's given me immense faith in him yeah. and a real deep abiding love for him. I want to keep growing. I know I'll never be perfect, 
uh, in the eyes of, of, of other people who would say, you know, how can you even think about going to heaven mm. when you, you know, you keep stumbling all the time? One of my favourite verses in the Bible is Matthew 5, 6. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. Mm. Not that they have attained that level in their spiritual walk, mm-hmm. but their greatest desire. My greatest desire is to do what God wants because I know it's good for me. Mm. He's proven yeah. that to me in the last 66 years, even though that I disavowed him so many times. Yeah. Here's a question that I think is a really important one, Michelle. Given the story that you've shared with us and where you were at when you know you bumped into Graham outside of Lou, how has Graham helped you heal? Oh, he's been instrumental. He's the person God sent to me to help me heal so I could then possibly fulfill or hope to fulfill the, the plan that God had for me. But God had a plan to give me peace and a future and hope for a future and he sent me Graham to help me do that. It was Graham that helped me heal because I'd, I'd struggled with what had happened with me as a child. I'd kept it secret for 30-odd years. I finally had a breakdown at the age of 40 and came mm-hmm. out with the abuse and went through the legal process of taking mm-hmm. this my perpetrator to court and that failed after four years where it was put on the shelf because he came forward with lots of um, ill health and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, and the court said they had a duty of care to him even though he was indicted on many, many offences, 64 offences, and sent up to the um, district court, it was still put on the shelf. And so I never had justice from the court situation. And Mm. um, it was Graham who helped me heal from um, the tragedy of my life and the behaviour patterns that I'd put on to help me cope with the pain of it. I was able to cry with him, talk to him and tell him every horrible thing that had happened to me and this was over and over and over again. And not once did he say, I'm not ready to listen to you or you've told me that before, be quiet Mm. or anything like that. He just held me and listened Mm. to me and I had like we had four, six months of absolute crying and talking about it but it was very therapeutic for me and cathartic for me. So Graham helped me heal to the point where I can talk about it publicly with no emotional um, thing happening for me now. So it's been wonderful. Graham helped you learn to trust. Yeah. Again. Well, I trusted Graham. God said, you can trust this man and I can see why I can trust this man wholeheartedly. I went went through about a year of wondering why someone like her would want to have anything to do with someone like me because my my self-esteem was pretty rock bottom when you've mm-hmm. lost your identity. And I looked at her with awe. I mean, not only physically, as you know, she's a very attractive lady in my eyes. Also, I love no, her. No, she heart. is. She is. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, of course okay. you are. And, and I, 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 but I really loved her heart and I loved her strength and her capacity to deal with life's issues and yeah. be strong. And and I, I wanted to grow from that too. So she, she, by sharing that with me, she was able to show me a better way to be for myself. I kept saying to her, what have I got to do to keep you in my life? You mm. know? And she kept saying to me, all you've got to do is love me. And I'm saying, well, I do, but there's got to be more to it. There's got to be more to it. Where's the, where's the catch? Yeah. And then I thought, what's the best way to love her? And God made it very clear. Yeah. God said to me, I designed her to be the way she is. Mm-hmm. Who she is is perfect in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I want her to fly like an eagle. I don't want her to fly like an eagle stuck in a cage. I want her to be free Mm. to be who I designed her to Mm. be. And then I realised my role was just to be the ranger in her national park and make sure that her Mm -hmm. boundaries were protected Mm -hmm. and that she could fly free and unhindered without being poached or shot at or captured or or overruled by anybody. And the last person she needed to overrule her and set boundaries for her and and put put her in a box was the man that she loved. Mm -hmm. And I realised the best way to love her was actually set her free and just be there to make sure she was Mm -hmm. okay. And then that was, I thought, that's really easy to do. I can do that because I've got, you know, why would I want to change Mm. something that just took rock my socks off when I first met her? Why would I want to change any of that? I love every bit of it. Yeah. And lo and behold, by loving her that way, she made it very clear to me that that's the way she loved me as well. So she's the ranger of my national park too. Well, that's the definition of love, isn't it? Yeah. It's not a business transaction. Is I love you if you scratch my back. It's unconditional. Not, it's not I love you him. if I'd... you become the perfect person, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to change him in any way. Yeah. I never have yeah. and there's not one thing I'd change about him. So never you, you feel great freedom. Yeah. Oh, I feel life. immense freedom. And, and and you feel loved. Yeah. And there's a saying, I don't know where it comes from, you may know because you're a doctor with great education. Doesn't mean I and know much. And you can, uh, if you love something, let it go. Yeah. And if it comes back, you know that it was always yours. Yeah. If it doesn't, it never was. And and that's how I feel with her. If there's a, any cage around her, it's not to control her. It's just to make sure she's safe. But mm. the door's always open. We find that there is no cage, actually. It's just a beautiful state of existence as a couple. We actually feel like one flesh. Boy, do do we overcomplicate things. We do. Yeah. We do. But the other thing, Michelle, about you, I've got to say, I know, it's very embarrassing for you. You, to me, are one of the most courageous human beings that I have ever met. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know? really? Thank I mean, you. losing your identity and what happened, you know, at nine years of age and then standing up in front of the Royal Commission recently and telling your story and actually standing up for yourself in, in lots of ways around mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. publicly uh, for the sake of, of justice and for, you know, to protect other, other victims. I really admire you for that. Thank you. How did you develop such courage? God gave me the strength and tenacity when I was very when I was born. When he made me, I'm very grateful for him. I never blamed him at all for no. anything that happened to me. Um, and I just just thank him always, every day, for the strength and tenacity that he gave to me to get me through because um, looking back, I can see he had a perfect plan and a future for me and with purpose. That courage and that strength and the tenacity blossomed when you met Graham. It did because it was the healing that we went through, the process of healing me and being able to talk about things, first with him in total and then with slowly with other people and in groups of people, etc. that I was mm-hmm. able to free myself because it was like a backpack of baggage that I carried around mm for so many years that I was free of. Now, I lost my identity at nine and I didn't get it back till I was 50. And it was just amazing. I got it back the day I forgave my perpetrator to his face. Yeah. When Mm -hmm. I forgave him to his face and leaving that point, it was just beautiful. I felt in control of my life. So. And and her forgiveness was her greatest demonstration of courage. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Her capacity to forgive has been her greatest demonstration of courage because it takes a lot of guts to forgive somebody. And she's had to forgive you. She has. You know, like I, 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 uh, I 
confessed to her on a number of, a couple of occasions that I'd stumbled back into pornography after promising her that I wouldn't. And her reaction to me was always totally the opposite to what I would have expected. I was expecting to be castigated and how can I ever trust you? And her reply has always been, are you okay? And I'd say, no, I, f- I feel worse than I've ever felt in my life. This is mm. terrible. I mm. feel like I've let you down. Then she said, was it anything I did? And I was able to say to her, no, sweetheart, I've been struggling with this since I was a 12-year-old boy. Mm. And then the next thing she always says is, what can I do to help you? Mm. So it's not about how dare you, how can I ever trust you again. She gave me the same response that Jesus gives us when we fall. Mm-hmm. And we pick ourselves up. He helps us up and, and he dusts us off and he just gives us a hug and he says, come on, just keep keep wanting to be someone in relationship with me. Mm-hmm. And so that, that drive and that forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, and to put her forgiveness in context, we're talking about her forgiving a man who molested her every weekend for six years. Mm. This isn't just, oh, it happened one weekend. This is every weekend for six years. He locked her in a stone room, so much so that she now struggles with claustrophobia. Hmm. Uh, He raped her in a dam Hmm. in the mud as Hmm. a young child. Hmm. Things like that, they were despicable things, and he did that to a lot of people. And, and we, we're not gilding the lily here. He was a prolific predator, to this man. Mm. And so for her to forgive someone like that, she never had to forgive God, but she went through a phase where she had to forgive herself because she always felt if she'd spoken up earlier, she could have saved other victims. That, yeah, that really killed me. Yeah, and which is why she's been so outspoken now. She's been mm. an advocate for, um, for survivors of abuse. She's told a story, a very painful story, in front of large audiences and mm-hmm. also for television. Yeah. And her courage in doing that, because I know how difficult it was for, it was for her first, mm. it always was done with tears. Mm. But now it's done with a smile. She tells her story at the beginning by saying, I don't want any of you to feel sorry for me. This is a good news story. Yeah. And she ends up by saying, my name's Michelle and I used to be a victim of childhood sexual abuse mm-hmm. and it is well with my soul. Yeah. And that being part of that journey for me has been incredible. It's been a mm. real honour. Mm-hmm. An absolute honour. And you've been healed and made whole as a man. It's everything I've well. I She put me in a position that I was desperate to be in. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be of some use to somebody mm-hmm. instead of feeling like a walking ATM. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of men listening to this who can relate to that walking ATM thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just exist to provide for the family. Yeah. But you're a heart and a soul mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And you bleed. Yeah. And you feel pain. And, mm-hmm. and, and in your pain, often you inflict pain without mm-hmm. wanting to because that only makes you feel worse, which mm-hmm. makes you desire to inflict more pain. Yeah. It's what domestic violence is all about. Mm-hmm. And I just thank God that Michelle was the one that he sent at the 11th hour to bring me to a point where I can actually say, my name's Graham Hood and it is well with my soul. Mm-hmm. Well, my name is Eliezer Gonzalez and it is well with my soul because... I have you two in my life. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you. You are so inspirational. Just sitting here and uh, talking about this with you is like counselling for me, <laughs> the, you know, the situations that I face in my life. And I'm sure um, that there's a lot of women, a lot of men out there who'll hear this. And uh, just because you have the courage to be authentic and share your story, you've helped make their lives better too. So thank you very much. Thanks, thank Ellie. you, Ellie. Thank you. I think we need to also say that 
everything is done for mutual benefit when you leave it to God. Mm. Um, you were very instrumental in the establishment of our ministry. You had faith in us when others didn't. You stood to protect us against uh, forces that were arrayed against us. Mm. You had a beautiful picture of God, which we've watched develop over the last dozen or so years, which is just amazing. Your, your picture of the cross and Jesus Christ is an inspiration to possibly, who knows, even millions of people through the work you're doing. Mm. So we're all part of this journey. This mm. is us. It's not about us inspiring you or you inspiring us. It's God working with people who are prepared to just let it all go and trust him. But that's the story, isn't it? We that's all grow it. in relationship. Mm. And when we're in pain, like you did, Michelle, and like you did in different ways, Graham, we shut down. Yeah, we do. Yeah. You know, we all grow in relationship. And the story of uh, the relationship that you've had together is just a, a microcosm, although it's a marriage relationship, but mm. it's it's a microcosm of, of the sorts of relationships and the principles uh, that God wants us to have. And, you know, if you're out there listening to this and you know and you're suffering and you're in in the sort of holes that you've heard graham and michelle talk about reach out mm. you know yeah. reach out yeah. to, to people who can help uh, reach out to people who are there for you who maybe you've been locking out of your life because uh, that's the way that we heal that's the way that we grow that's you know right. what Ellie, if if uh, i see our life together now as a beautiful tapestry but if the threads that are you and your wife anna Mm -hmm. and your son Benjamin and your daughter Rebecca, if those threads were pulled out of that tapestry, the whole thing would collapse. And that's the truth. And so we've got to all see each other that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope that other people will start looking at each other that way too. We're all part of a beautiful picture. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, <laughs> Graham and Michelle, for sharing your story and being so open about your relationship. It's helped me. Let's hope it helps a lot of other people. I'm glad I've been able to help you too. Yeah, you have to. And also there's okay. a big flathead swimming in the Clarence River with your name on yeah, it. Yeah, you right? keep promising. <laughs> don't deliver. Okay, <laughs> next time, mate. Eh? Thank you. Okay, see yeah, you, mate. Bye. bye. Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. To sign up for Graham and Ellie's daily spiritual message emails about recovering from addictions, hurts and hang-ups, visit goodnewsunlimited.com. To book Graham and Ellie for talks, get in touch at the same website. And if you're troubled by anything you've heard, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or an equivalent service in your own country. Thanks for listening. Mates in Courage. Catch you in the next episode.